welcome to episode 51 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm Richard Goslin, editor of the Society's members magazine, Unfiltered. If you're a member of the SMWS already, you'll know that we have four members rooms across the United Kingdom where you can enjoy your whiskies, great food and regular tasting events. We also host special guest events with distillers from across the industry who join us to share some of their whiskies as well as some SMWS single cask bottlings from their distilleries. At the vaults recently, we welcomed Brendan McCarran. He's the master distiller at Distels Boonahaven, Deanston and Tobermory distilleries. We recorded Brendan's tasting uncensored and presented here in full with some strong language for good measure. Settle down for an illuminating insight into Brendan's experience in the whisky industry, his bountiful knowledge and some cracking drams from Deanston, Tobermory and Lejig. Evening, ladies and gents. Uh, thank you very much for coming. Uh, this is like, I think this is like fifth year running that I've done this event, which has been brilliant. Kind of changed company in the middle. And so my job is, I'm the master distiller for Distel International. You probably know who that is. I always think it sounds like a, a Eurovision runner-up, you know, Distel International, or like a really shit Bond villain. But um, we are, we're a, we're a whiskey company, we're part of Distel, which is a proper sounding company. And Distel owns uh, three single malt whiskey distilleries in Scotland, um, a couple of blended whiskies, a gin, uh, and I get to look after all of that as the master distiller. So I'm responsible for all of our distillation, all of our raw materials. I look after our stocks and our strategy. Uh, I look after our whiskey making. And I also, every so often, get let out into the public to talk about our whiskies. And I've also realized I've got a microphone on and I've already swore. So, oh shit. <laughs> that wasn't good. So, um, I, I was thinking about the range to bring to you tonight, and don't worry, we're going to start drinking any minute now. And, and also, just, just start drinking while I talk. Don't wait for me. Um, so, obviously, we have Bonahaven. Bonahaven's probably our most famous whiskey. It's our most established, uh, the one that's won the most awards and probably gets, I don't want to say unfair, but yeah, I'm going to say it probably gets an unfair share of the attention of our three amazing single malt whiskey distilleries. And it is from Iowa, and I see Graham, who's here from Iowa. And, and I did live on Iowa for three years, and I go on and on and on about Isla, and I love Isla. But I thought today, actually, what we're going to taste is we're going to taste two Deanstons that I brought. Uh, we're going to taste a Tobermory that uh, Andrew has very kindly opened and is going to pour for us, and it's a beauty. Um, and then we're going to taste three Lechigs. So I hope you like smoke. Is there anyone, else, anyone in here who doesn't like smoke? Too bad. Yeah, it's probably... Well, at least you've got to see a Christmas tree. You know, <laughs> take a snap of that for your partner and send it home. But, yeah, we're going to taste two Deanstons. Then Andrew's going to present a Tobermory. Then we'll have a bit of lunch, a bit of supper. Uh, and then we'll have three lechigs. But it's just... I just really like these whiskies, and I, I think it's a nice little sequence for us to, to talk about. So, uh, shall we begin? Everyone happy? Yeah, brilliant. I also just realised I shouted so there, and I seen Duncan with his earphones on just jump out his skin. So, 
<laughs> Sorry, Duncan. I do apologise. Look, you know, you're very good looking. You don't need your hearing. So let's start with this one. I, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Deanston. Are we? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've loved Deanston for a very, very, very long time. Uh, my wife is from Stirling. I met her in Glasgow. She got shot to me for five years because she saw sense, but I somehow managed to reel her back in. Um, and she's now, we're now married. That's why she's my wife. That's logical. Uh, I mean, she doesn't know this. But um, she's from Stirling. Deanston is like 10 minutes from my house. Uh, two of her cousins actually worked at Deanston for a bit back in the day. Uh, and I've loved Deanston for a very long time. I also... I've been in the whiskey industry for coming up 20 years, which I know is funny. It looks like I've been 50 or 60 years. I look like Richard Patterson's grandfather. It's just horrendous aging. I'm from Coatbridge. This is what happens. Like, this, is, this is young looking for 42. But I've loved Deanston for a very long time. And, and I live 10 minutes away from my wife's cousins used to work there. We always had this connection. And when people used to visit, we'd always go up and go for a tour. Like, Brendan, you work in the whiskey industry, which I did, but all my distilleries were further away. But I was like, come on, we'll go to Deanston. It's a cracking distillery. And I, I would still say this. I'd still say it's a bit of a, it's a hidden gem. It's like a, if you know, you know kind of distillery. So people who work in the industry, uh, blenders, whiskey makers, you know Deanston's a very special spirit. And it's because it's waxy. And waxy is a word you're going to hear a lot tonight, because that's the spirit character of Deanston, is waxy. There's only two distilleries in Scotland, therefore, let's face it, the world, because everyone else is rubbish at whiskey. No, that's not true, I'm being recorded. Uh, bourbon's lovely. Uh, rye's, yeah, rye isn't my thing, actually. I do love bourbon. Rye tastes like plasticine. But... Um, we only make waxy at Deanston, and there's one other distillery that makes waxy. Yes, yes. Ten points to Gryffindor. Well done. Um, yeah, Klein Leash. So my love affair with Deanston began uh, when I joined Diageo. And Diageo makes Johnny Walker, which is one of the best blended scotches um, that you can buy. And it, it, its heart is waxy whiskey. So you'd have Klein Leash. But the other thing you had to have was Deanston. And eventually, after my first year as a graduate working on a maltings and on a distillery, I was in a blending centre, and there was loads of these casts of Deanston that used to come in to the blend centre, which we'd then put together to make batches of Johnny Walker. And it was Deanston, and it's because of this waxiness. And my obsession with spirit character kind of began there. So waxy spirit has been a thing for me for a long time. And it's kind of went full circles. I worked for Diageo for eight years. I worked at Oban, Lagavulin, Kalila, Portellan. Then I worked for Glenmorangie and Ardbeg. And then eventually I got to work for, now, Bonahaven, Tobamori and Deanston. And it was great. So the very first day that I arrived at the distillery, I was like, can I see inside the Finch Charger, which is the secret to how you make waxy whiskey. I remember the, the, op the distillery operator guy was just looking at me, Tommy, and he was like, why do you want to see in there? And I was like, well, this is where... This is where the wax happens. And he's like, you're the first person to ask about that in 20 years. And I was like, that's lovely, Tommy. Get the hatch open. Like, give me a look at it. But you, you see this incredible style of whiskey called waxy. And it is like a personal obsession. So I am obsessed in particular. People who know me know I love smoky whiskey. That's why Leitchig is featuring heavily on tonight's tasting. But I am obsessed with geeky, different, unique, text 
texture-driven whiskies, and Deanston, to me, just ticks so many boxes. So, I've went on and on and on. My favourite whisky from Deanston, right, the 18 is spectacular. And taking a little bit of credit for myself, I joined two years ago, and they'd cancelled the 18. Um, and I went, well, that's stupid. Like, don't, don't do that, let's, let's bring the 18 back. And they went, well, there's no stock. So I looked, and I managed to bring some 18-year-old Deanston back into the four, put it together, and I went, I think this is an amazing batch. And they went, okay, we'll launch one more batch. So I re-released the 18-year-old Deanston, and it won Whiskey of the Year. So... Unfortunately, the podcast won't see this, but I'm blowing my fingernails arrogantly. <laughs> Thank you very much. But yeah, so 18 won Whiskey of the Year, and it is a pretty spectacular whiskey. It's my second favourite, Deanston, probably, but my favourite is Virgin Oak. I don't know if anyone's tried Deanston Virgin Oak, but so anyone that doesn't know, Virgin Oak means casks that haven't had any whiskey in them before. So usually we use ex-bourbon casks because they've had bourbon in them for two to four years. That takes out the, the, the most intense, in-your-face kind of oaky flavours and then it's perfect for a long maturation in scotch. But Deanston, in my opinion, was the one distillery that really embraced virgin oak and nailed it, got it right, made it work, created a recipe that was just something brilliant. Most distilleries in Scotland would try virgin oak and they'd either overcook it, you know, just overdo it, and it just became so oaky and so intense that you might as well just go to America and buy a really great bourbon, because that was the kind of flavour profile. And I think after that initial reaction, some people freaked out and they went, we want to make a virgin oak, but let's not overcook it. And they put it in the cask for just not long enough. So even though it officially was a virgin oak, you'd taste it and you'd go, just tastes like the standard scotch. Deanston, I think, really, really nailed it. Uh, and it was my favourite scotch from Deanston for, I don't know, the last 10 years. And then I joined and I got to look at the recipe and I was like, yeah, can I, how much can I buy virgin oak for? Because I get it at a discount, which is a great part of being a whiskey maker. Most of the time you get it for free. Sometimes you get it discounted. And I, I started buying it and I started really researching the recipe. We've tweaked the recipe. So I've made virgin oak slightly older. You know, the, the base whiskey that goes into the cask is slightly older, but also the finish in the virgin oak, this is where it can go super geeky. Um, you can toast and char your casks, and we would have a mixture of light, medium, and heavy toasts, and we'd also have char two, char three, and char four um, chars of the cask. And I've decided that we're just going char four only for the casks. So if anyone doesn't know that, a char one, would be a very light char. So just a tiny bit of flame across the wood. It would slightly blacken, but really not much. Char two, a little bit longer on the flame, so it starts to blacken and the porosity starts to increase. Char three, you're starting to get into that blackness and darkness and like some proper flames licking off the surface of the wood. Char four, about as charred as you can get before the wood starts to actually disintegrate and comes apart. Does that make sense? As an analogy, it's like, you know, there's different people who make toast. You know, some people put it in the toaster and it's down for about 20 seconds and they press cancel and it just basically looks like warm bread. You know, it barely melts the butter. That's char one. Incidentally, if your partner is that person, they're murdering people. 
They are serial killers. They have a freezer somewhere, and it's full of people. Make your excuses and leave. Char two, a little bit darker. Char three, starting to look like proper toast. And then char four, almost burnt. Pretty much burnt, but that's the best bit. And if you disagree with me, you're a, you're a serial killer. So we, we stuck to char four casks for virgin oak and also slightly older whiskey going into it. And what you get is you're looking for this waxy spirit. So waxy deans, and I'll talk a bit more about, right, grab your first whiskeys. I've talked for too long. Um, waxy Deanston, you're looking for orange peel, you're looking for orange oil, you're looking for citrus, you're also just looking for texture. But when you use virgin oak, classic oaky flavours, you're looking for vanilla, you're looking for ground up cloves, you're looking for white pepper, you're looking for, this is why it's great doing a whiskey tasting in Scotland. It's very rare that I get to do whiskey, believe it or not, it's, usually you do whiskey tasting somewhere else in the world. And if you're with a Taiwanese guy who's translating for you, and you say, Worders original, but they honestly just drop the mic and just go home. And they're like, nah, I'm done translating. But you're looking for like, Worders original, old-fashioned, hard-boiled toffee sweets, that kind of flavour. But on top of it, ground-up cloves, white pepper, something spicy. That's what you're looking for with virgin oak with this. You know, it's non-aged, so it's obviously not 12 years old. But it's older than you probably think if you're a, a whiskey cynic. And that's okay, be as cynical as you want, but... If you think this is three years old, you're, yeah, you're, there'll be no convincing you, but you're, you're wildly off. Taste it and see what you think. But we give it a good six months to a year in the virgin oak, and that gives it that creamy, waxy, mouth-coating and spicy flavour. So I've been refining and working on the recipe for virgin oak for the last two years since I joined. And bear in mind, this was my favourite Deanston when I joined. But I thought it could just go from nine out of ten to you know, 9.9 out of 10, because you're, you're never, ever, ever perfect. Um, but when we get the cast samples into our lab, you know, so this one right here is not your standard virgin oak, because they're doing special whiskies all night tonight. This is, this is a new whisky that I've just made, and I've been thinking about for two years, but I, I want to start playing with virgin oak. I want to start I want to play with Deanston and innovate and do different whiskies, but with virgin oak in particular, I really want to focus in on the, the nuances and the differences. So when the samples are pulled before we bottle it, it comes out the cask at cash strength. Cash strength for Deanston virgin oak will be 59%, something like that. 59, 58, maybe some will come out at 60. Usually for most whiskies, when it's at high strength, it can be you know, a bit closed and a bit tight. A bit like if you, if you open a really nice red wine and you don't decant it. You know, we all do that, of course. You know, in Coat Bridge, it's very common to decant your wine a day ahead of time. Um, you know, it's like the graveyards are so full of decanters. But um, the whiskey can be super tight at high strength. That's why when you add whisk, uh, water excuse me, to whiskey, it starts to open up and develop and you can find a few other things. But there's just certain whiskies work great at cash strength. They tend to be, but, but use rules as guides, don't use them blindly. Tends to be smoky whiskies, work great at high strength, yeah? You know, you get that more, that in-your-face, big smoky tit, hit. But the more and more times that Deanston came in from the distillery, and like, this is the new, vap, the new batch we put together, can you approve it, is it good or is it bad? And you'd nose it at high strength first, and you'd be like, that's really good. And it's insane how much the flavour changes with two or three or four or maybe even 10 ABV points up. 
It gets spicier, but it gets creamier at the same time. So I've been thinking about this for about two years, and I've probably got in the long-term plan, I probably want to release, alongside virgin oak, which is at 46.3, I probably want to start releasing a cash-strength virgin oak, maybe just once a year or, or, or whenever. But for right now, uh, we've made a whiskey only available at the distillery. So if anyone wants to come to Dune, it's an hour from here, max. Or you can go online and buy it as well. This is me getting my salesman sheet out here. Want to buy a whiskey? Um, you can buy Deanston Virgin. It's at nominated strength. So it's not cash strength, but it's not far off. It's at 55% ABV. And also with the colour scheme of red, white and blue, it's honestly the staunchest whiskey I've ever made. Uh, and that's from a lifelong Celtic fan. So it's... <laughs> This, this wasn't in my head, I was pure, this, this tells you that I, authentically all I was thinking about was how delicious the flavour of this, this whiskey was. And it's not bitter at all, like myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 55%, so if anyone hasn't used these glass before, you all have, but give it a little swirl. Don't do this, everyone does this in pictures, it goes see-through. Just give it a little nose. So to me, on, on the nose, it really is spicy. You know, there, there is that full-on cinnamon. Um, I, also, I always love the, the tasting note of baking spices. You know, because baking spices is just one way of admitting you don't know any spices. <laughs> you know, it's like someone nosing someone and going, hmm, wine. <laughs> it's like baking spices. It's becoming more prevalent. Watch for it now. But maybe I've just put it in your head, but everyone, it suddenly became the cool thing to say is baking spices. Which is a look. Jamie, are you getting baking spices? Yep, thought so. Thought so. Also, Jamie, if you don't mind, with a nose like that, you're not putting it in the glass. I mean, you were born to be a whiskey noser and you're not even putting it in the glass. <laughs> Possibly doesn't fit in the glass, of course. Do you have any wide set Glen Cairns for my friend Jamie? No? No. <laughs> but on the nose, is anyone else getting on top of the spices? So, like white pepper, cloves, cinnamon. Like peppermint, yeah. Is anyone getting in mentholic? There's a wee bit of, yeah. Tiger balm, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. There's all these kind of like sauna, like that, that time we spent in the sauna without our wives, you know. We don't talk about it, but it was magical, much like the nose of this whiskey. Anyone getting something bready? You're getting that kind of, like, you know, baking bread, which is different from baking spices. Baking bread makes sense. You're getting that yeasty note in there as well. There's something slightly malty. You can always taste like the, the, the mash bill, the barley that's been used to make this whiskey. You taking a sip yet? Yeah, everyone's taking a sip except for me. Right, I'm going to take a sip, so cheers all. So initially, again, spicy, but sweeter than the nose, like gingerbread, like cake mix. You know that proper cake mix kind of flavour, it's concentrated, it's dense, it's packed, but there is vanilla in there as well, there's vanilla, there's American cream soda, if there's any Americans here, cream soda, is the other thing we call it, um, and right on the end, there's, there's something green in there as well, there's a bit of green apples or green pears, conference pears, there's a sweetness, the classic, classic, classic note of all Deanston's that you're looking for is orange peel, you know, it's not, it's not orange juice, it's not, it's not sweet orange, it, it's not, it's not concentrated citrus, it's, 
it's like orange oil and it's the, the waxiness plus the fruitiness that you're looking for in it. If you're not finding it at this high strength, I can just about taste it. Or if anyone's drinking old fashioned, you know what, like when you, you see the mixologist or you do it at home, you know, when you squeeze over the orange over the old fashioned, that kind of oily spritz that goes into there, that's what you're looking for in all Deanston's. If you're not getting it, I can see some people doing it already, perfect timing, um, put some water in. If you put some water in, it's going to go back closer to being classic virgin oak and you'll get it waxier, more orangey, more mouth coating, more flavorful. So not bad at all, 60 pounds for a, yeah, 60 pounds for a 55 ABV, one of a kind. I think there's, so we don't number the bottles, but it's, it's in the hundreds, not the thousands, you know, so it's a tester and we're going to see how, how people react to it and if people like it, but I definitely want to build up to doing like a, a cash strength, but also doing like some like experiments off the back of it. You know, but we're not going to do like a sherry cask or a wine cask. That's stupid. That's not virgin oak. But just toying with different sizes of batches, different toasts, different chars. But I do just love it at high strength. I think it just shows something different. So, Brian, the original cask for which you first filled out the barrels? Um, yes. Uh, no, 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 not necessarily first fill. So, so this is like the base Deanston that's matured before it goes into the virgin oak. No, it'll be first fill, second fill, refill. It'll be, but we have moved the age up significantly, a couple of years older um, than when I first started. They used to have quite a wide range of ages. And I was like, no, let's tighten up and also increase the age. And you're looking for, probably aiming for a year's finish. But if any, anyone in whiskey tells you very specifically, this is always finished for a year or this is always two years, uh, like, don't trust them. Like, run like the wind. Like, they're, just, they're just talking nonsense, basically. But you're, you're targeting a year, but the trick is to sample and sample often. Makes for a good Monday, for one, for me. Um, but also sample a lot and just check. Sometimes one cask will just run off really quick and another cask will just take a while to get there and you just need to balance that off. You know, it's such a simple analogy. It's like kids, you know. For every kid you've got that takes forever to get to something, there's other kids that are just already booming on. You just need to sample and sample and sample, but not necessarily first fill. So first fill, second fill, refill bourbons, but always bourbon, and then right into, and from now on, medium toasted, heavily charred, char four, alligator casks, if you like. Yeah, so it's a bit like, so the virgin oak's obviously not the only whiskey I make. We make the, just for Deanston, we make 12, we make 18, we make a port cast, we make a sherry cast, we do an innovation here and here. We do Bonahaven, Tobemory, Black Bottle, Lechig. So, but there, there, again, there's, there's a school of thought. People think it's a great thing where a whiskey maker says, I sample every cask that we have, every single cask, often. To me, that just sounds like you do not trust your whiskey. <laughs> you know, you don't trust your spirit, you don't trust your suppliers, you don't trust the cash you buy. But usually when I fill a cask, we'll, we'll check the cask before the spirit goes in. We'll check the spirit every week. Every single week I check the new make spirit. First three years, not really. Not really, just let it go. Let it go for three years. Then you start to think about what's it going to become? Is this going to be the non-age stated whiskey? Which isn't going to be 12 years, you know. But maybe I'll start looking at that two years after then. But really, once you start getting closer and closer and closer to putting together the batch, you know, the demand comes in, we're going to 
We're going to bottle virgin oak in two months' time, Brendan. That's when I start going, let's get all the casts on site, let's get them all into the, the bottling hall. We have a warehouse there. Let's start pulling samples. Um, not every single sample still at that stage, you know, but let's start pulling more and more and more samples. But the better trick is, rather than sampling every single thing, is to have some that have finished slightly less, some that have finished for the exact amount you want, and some that have finished a little bit longer, because then you have, you have um, strings to pull on. You know, so I, I go back to cooking a lot with whiskey making, so if you're making a big pot of curry or chilli or whatever you want to use as your example, this is like having seasoning on top. You know, you have things that you can add to, aye, you have salt and pepper and, you know, tunes to play. Whereas if you just aim for it to be exactly perfect and you have nothing to do with, you have nothing to change it with, then guess what? There's, there's nothing you can do. But you, you probably want to, look, you want to look to sample every single Monday. Every single Monday I have like a massive big line of samples waiting for me in the lab. And we go in and we just pull samples and we look at stuff that's very rarely less than three years old. So it tends to be whiskey, but three, five, seven, twelve, twenty, twenty-five. Anything above twenty-five the amount of it becomes so tiny that you can look at it all the time and it's brilliant makes for a great Monday my wife's a lawyer and she hates her job and I like jump out on a Monday morning like yes let's, <laughs> let's go to work and then to be fair she goes yes he's leaving but <laughs> I also find my way home as well but, but yeah so sample a lot but don't oversample you know don't oversample because yeah it's more about it doesn't sound as sexy, but it's more about having the right amount of stock, the right amount of stock and the right amount of cast and having a wee bit more than you need, but not too much. You don't want to overproduce, but definitely never be short because you need to have this. I always do it. I love them on a podcast right now and I'm doing this kind of pulling strings analogy so people in the podcast can work it out. Think about the end of Mary Poppins. That's a reference for me. Is it all American oak? Yes. Yep. 100% American oak. Maybe. Maybe. Who are your sources? Who's been speaking? Yeah. So virgin oak, yeah, yeah. Definitely why you start playing about with virgin oak. Um, the the, the ex-bourbon cast will always be American oak. American oak is full of uh, lignin, which creates these flavours of coconut and caramel and honey and all this sweet loveliness. But yeah, European oak, like there's, there's like Transylvanian oak, which, which is very cool. But also, I mean, it's a cool name as well be brilliant to do a Transylvanian oak release at Halloween. I mean, it'd be amazing. But there's, um, there's, there's, there's northern French oak, the middle of France, the south of France, then all the way down to Spain. As you go from that north to south journey, the oak naturally gathers up more and more and more tannins. So you can get this crazy levels of spiciness as well. Um, there's black sea oak, there's Andean oak, there's, there, there's all these crazy oaks out there. So yeah, I think that's something that Gariana, one that I love, bird oak, swamp oak, um, things I've worked with in my past. All of these things could do something that's identifiable as Deanston virgin oak, but, but also goes in a different direction. So yeah, loads of things to play with, but it'll always be virgin oak. It won't be sherry or wine or something. That'd just be lazy and, you know, yeah, lazy. Try not to swear, but shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. In the words of Brian Clough, he says, whenever the team have an idea of tactics, we all sit down and decide I was right. Uh, no, that's Brian Clough. But no, no, I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm, at, I'm in charge, which is really quite weird still to say, you know. Um, but but I look after I look after distilling, maturation, and whiskey making. So all the distillery managers report to me. Julianne, the master blender, reports to me, uh, and a few other people report to me as well. And I'd love to say that just everything's mine, and aren't I brilliant? And give me all the praise and all the attention, which which sometimes happens. But no, it's it's more of a it's. It's very rare for us to disagree because we're all good. We are. We are all good. And I know how arrogant that sounds. We do know our stuff. And we've got a huge amount of experience. We've got a great balance of like, sound like a World Cup manager here. We have a great balance of youth and experience. But it tends to be, you, you just kind of know sometimes. You know, if one person has their doubt about a whiskey, and there's a panel, there's a panel, but there is inside the, you know, the, the circle of trust to go for meet the parents, there's me, Julianne, and the guy, Josh. If one of us has a doubt and the other two are really firm on it, and it could be me that has a doubt, but the other two are like, no, this is brilliant, this is brilliant. You kind of need to take a step back. You take a walk, you go away for a minute. You say, let me come back to it. Come back blind, don't be influenced, and you have a look at it. And if, if you have a niggling doubt, but they're like super confident in it, then you'll come back to it and you go, you'll go, right, let's look at it again. But then usually you'll come round to their way of thinking and you'll establish Whereas sometimes when I'm saying, this is the way to go, this is absolutely the whiskey we're going to do, I'm just sure of it. But sometimes you can be over-invested in the idea of a whiskey and you've just almost decided in your head, it's going to taste great. But then the, other, the rest of the panel are all saying, I'm just really not sure there's a background note. You just listen to people and it, and it brings you back. But, so it tends to be like, try and pull in as much information as you can and check it, check it, check it, and only... Only when you know it's a great whiskey do you release it. But having said that, there is some times where I'm like, I know this is a brilliant whiskey, I know this is what I want to happen, and I love it, so it's happening. But it's very rare that you say that and everyone else is going, no, no, we really have a doubt. You tend to find everyone's just, just sometimes it just pours into the glass and everyone just knows it and you go, Jesus, this is, this is the business. And then it's, it's almost like a you almost like get away from yourself, you know, you're almost desperate for it to be bottled and out in the marketplace. But this, this was bottled three months ago. I mean, you loved it and we're like, this is amazing, but it's almost like that, you know, it has to be reduced and filtered and bottled and labelled and boxed. And, but you're just almost like, let's go, 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 go. Yeah, but no, no, it's, it's a great question. And I'd love to say, it would be brilliant to say, it's all me, you know, it's just me. No one else has any contribution. They all just hold a bit of paper and they hold the pen for me and I sign. But no, it's, it's safety in numbers. Many different people, many different palettes, many different opinions. Make your judgment based on that. But sometimes, sometimes, yeah, it is good to be the boss sometimes. Yeah, well, well I, I would say what I think is, it's became a wee bit like that sometimes where actually they'll say it's Brendan McCann that makes that whiskey or someone else makes that whiskey. It's kind of true, but actually it's the distillery that makes that whiskey. It's the distillery, the wood, the time, the age, you know? So, yeah, I think it's just, it's a bad balance. But also to conclude, it's me. No, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, we try whiskey number two. So, number two is my, genuinely, and it's quite ironic because it's not like my usual style of whiskey, but this is my favourite cask that we have at Deanston. So I brought this along for us to try um, because I just, I love this cask. I just think this cask is unbelievable, but it's not the cask that I would usually pick. I like bourbon whiskey. I love waxy whiskey. 
Anyone that knows me knows I love smoky whiskey, but I tend to go down a bourbon route, mostly. I, I, don't get me wrong, I love sherry, I love wine, I love all these different things, but it's just like, this is my style. But this is Deanston, and I've tasted this whiskey so many times, I think the cast might be empty, because I just <laughs> keep taking, I'll take 500 litres to this, or I'll, take, I'll take 500 ml to this, or five, 500 litres, that'd be too much. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, can you edit that out, Duncan? Thank you. Uh, it's been about a thousand litres, actually. <laughs> but this whiskey, I just keep going back to, and back to, and back to, because it, it does have that wonderful flavour that we mostly heard about from Japan called umami or as it's called in Cope Ridge, your maw. But no, um, but it's got loads of this crazy, unbelievable, textural, fatty stuff in it. But this is Deanston, so waxy Deanston spirit that was distilled in 1995. Spent 17 years in refill bourbon, because everyone's obsessed with first fill, second fill. Don't, 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 don't fall into that trap all the time. First fill bourbon is better than sex, second fill bourbon. Yes, sometimes, sometimes. But not if you're going to mature it for 18 years, like, you know. And I'd actually say refill trounces the two of them over 18 years. Three years, okay, first fill's better and all this kind of stuff. But 17 years in first fill bourbon, and then it was put into a second fill Pedro Jimenez sherry cask. Sherry butt, and it's just, I've got no idea why it was done. I've no idea why they moved it at 17 into Pedro Jimenez. They probably tried to do a one-off 18-year-old, but then they forgot about it. Not forgot about it, but they, that project didn't come to pass, and it's just sat, and it's matured, and it's matured, and it's matured. And it just makes this kind of crazy, unbelievable. It says at Deanston, it's in Warehouse 2, which is the one that was in the Angel Share. It's the one that... If you go on the distillery tour, you come out of the still house, you take a right, you go up the stairs, and you go into this vaulted ceiling in this crazy warehouse. It's sat in there, and it's just, it's just brilliant, frankly. So that's why I brought it. If you can't charm the audience with your patter, which I can't, you just bribe them, basically, with fantastic, fantastic whiskies. So it'd be in several refill yes. bourbon okay. barrels. Yes. Because if you think about it, you fill a barrel, which is 200 litres. Over 17 years, it's going to lose 2 times 17 plus 3, 37. That was quite quick. Thank you. Thank you. Here all week. Um, so you're going to use 37% of the contents. You're not then going to take that, which is, uh, someone else do that, was 63% of 200 is that like 120 or something like that? 120, you're not going to take 120 litres and then put it into a Pedro Jimenez butt, which is 500 litres. That's madness. You could do that, but you'll be arrested. Um, so what you do is you get like 10 barrels like that would get put into a vat, and then those 10 or 20 or 50 barrels would then be put into a range of Pedro Jimenez butts. But this is just the one that stayed the other butts have disappeared somewhere here, there, or whatever. But this one's just remained. And we still have no plans. Like, we could do a single cask of this and it would sell, you know, ridiculously well. But actually, this is one of the good things about being the boss and being in charge is I'm just like, no, this will just stay in the warehouse and I'll just quaff away at it and bring it to, 
bring it to whiskey tastings. Again, I'm on mic shit. Julian, that's my boss, I apologise. But um, no, it's, it just is. So, right, let, let, me, let me try and go hard on the waxiness here, because I've said this waxy thing quite a lot, but waxy is, so, so, so most single malt whiskies, and this is not a criticism, when you talk about competitors, people think you're being critical, I'm not. Single malt whiskey emerged about 30 years ago from blends. Blends are fantastic, and if you don't agree with that, well, actually, I'm just realised I'm in the Single Malt Whiskey Society, so I'll skip on from that chapter. Uh, single malt started to emerge, and really, they were either fruity or smoky, generally speaking, yeah? Fruity or smoky whiskies. And then the way you started experiencing different was they were young, or they were age-stated, they were very old. Then we started to get innovative, going, right, okay, how can it be... Um, and a port cask or a sherry cask or a red wine cask and that gives us some innovation and then I'll move between different distilleries but really these distilleries were all fruity or smoky which is great but there's certain distilleries that make a different spirit character Mortlach makes meaty you know makes this bovro like whiskey and it's unbelievable um, several whiskies make sulfury whiskey Deanston and Kleinleash make waxy it's kind of like making a fruity spirit. You, you have a, a, a super traditional mash tun, very clear warts, this oily brown, almost like English ale warts that run off the mash tun. Very long fermentation. We are targeting 85 to 90 hours to make it as fruity as it can possibly be, but not floral. If we go too long, because that was my original plan, I went for 100 hours and it went floral and I realised and I was like, okay, let's cycle it back, cycle it back. And then in the dis distillation, it's unbalanced, unhinged, unusual. There's just one big vessel that contains all the distillates and it kind of emulsifies and intensifies. Think like, again, back to cooking, because I always do that, but think like making all of your food in one pot. You know, chilli would be the obvious example. If you leave that for a couple of days, the flavour intensifies, everything integrates. It becomes greater than the sum of its parts. That's a bit like the distillation of Deanston, because instead of just filling up a tank with distillate, putting it to the second distillation and then out you go, which would be a fruity spirit, everything mixes together and you get layering and you get this crazy black magic that forms on top of the distillate. And then when you distill it, you get waxiness. And so for some people, it's kind of like, imagine picking up an orange as if it's an apple and biting into it. That's the best example I can give you of waxiness. There's a sensation first, there's a texture, there's an oiliness, then there is an explosion of fruitiness. But with this whiskey, and I'm going to say it, okay, and it is subjective sometimes, I'm going to put it in your head and all that stuff, but drink this whiskey, it tastes of peaches, right? It tastes of all sorts of other stuff, but it tastes of peaches, but there almost is that sensation of biting into a peach. There's this furry, sweet sensation there. This is my mate who'll tell me about 17 different types of wood because he's a joiner and he's looking at me with one eyebrow up like Roger Moore over there. But trust me, it's in there. A little swirl. On the nose, there is that kind of treacle. There's almost soy sauce coming off of the Pedro Jimenez. But sip it. And it is. There's just, there's texture first. It's almost like there's this layer of wax that breaks apart and then the flavour comes. There's this delay. And that's what waxiness is to me. And that's why I obsess about Deanston as a distillery, but I obsess about this cask in particular. Yeah, but how dare you? I've, I've, I've just 
poured my heart and soul into this tasting. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's 52. Sorry, you're right. I am murder for never saying the ABV. I'm really terrible for that, so I apologise. It's uh, 52. 52. But I would argue with the texture of it, it tastes like bottling strength. Yeah? There's no fire, there's no burn. 27 years will help with that, but Deanston is a waxy spirit. You're almost spoilt for choice when you're a whiskey maker with this. Juliana, my team, talks about this all the time. Says, like, we're spoiled for choice. It works fully matured in sherry. It works fully matured in bourbon. You can finish it. It works great non-age stated. I'll refer you back to the virgin oak which you started with. It works great old. It works great middle-aged. It, it works great cash strength. It works great bottom strength. It just, you always have this amazing balance of spirit character and wood character, you know. And this... I did get that kind of peach nectarine kind of biting into the thing there. But this really is the, in my opinion, the best cask in the entire warehouse, which is weird for me because I love bourbon cask, Deanston, mostly. So when you look in the faints chamber which is in distillation. So first of all, you have to do super clear warts. The sugary liquid that runs off the mash tun cannot have any solids in it. Then you do a super long fermentation to make this unbelievably fruity beer. But when you distill it, all the distillates, the low wines, the heads and the tails, the, from both stills, both wash stills and both spirit stills, they all go into one tank. Instead of having two or three tanks like any other distillery would have, which would fill completely full and then empty and be cleaned. Instead, you have this one tank that is never full and never empty. It kind of pulses up and down like a piston and an engine, if you like. I'm um, doing my best for the people listening to the podcast here because I realise how much I speak with my hands and that's useless. Um, but it also goes up and down in ABV. So when the ABV really crashes, when the low wines are pouring in, certain things come out of solution. Certain flavours, uh, long-chain esters and fatty acids they come out of solution, but they never return, and they form this slick of oil on top of the distillate. So once you put that into the spirit still, obviously you take off the heads, which go back into that black magic. Then the middle part, the heart, runs off and you collect it for spirit, and it goes from being unbelievably fruity to being waxy. And there's only two distilleries that have this, and a few other distilleries went, hey, we'll do the same, but it's a mixture of Science, art, luck, and witchcraft. You know, there's, there's many things at play. That's why I always tell people the secret, this is how you make waxy, because go ahead and try it. It, it doesn't work everywhere. It's, it, there is a certain uniqueness to it that we don't understand yet, which is great, because I think if we understood every single part of what makes whiskey whiskey, I think we'd all stop drinking whiskey, frankly. It's that unknown stuff that keeps bringing us back and makes us debate certain whiskies like this is your favourite whiskey and it's my worst whiskey and vice versa and there's certain whiskies that we both agree are just okay and you know 10 years down the line you're suddenly a whiskey you never liked is the one that you absolutely obsess about oh I've blown my budget by two minutes two minutes right I'll stop I'll stop it's just nice did I hear that it's just nice my God. That's like I asked my wife at the end of our wedding, how was that? And she went, it was nice. Like, oh, that hurts. <laughs> it's lovely, yeah, yeah. 
I meant the wedding ceremony before anyone's filthy. <laughs> right, we're going to do three leachings, you know, so I was, usually I'd say oh, we've only got 50 minutes to talk through three leachings, but I spent, I think, 40 minutes talking on Deanston Virgil Oak <laughs> Distillery Visitor Centre exclusive, so we've probably got lots of time, probably got lots of time, but, what's up? An hour and 20, yeah, well, you don't want to give me extra time. So let me tell you about my life, ladies and gents. I was born in 1980 um, in Coatbridge, Hill. But no, 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 no. Uh, we're going to try three Lechigs. And the reason we're doing Deanson and Lechig, I think I said earlier. So we tried a Tobermory in the middle. And I was just talking to the two gents here about last year's tasting. And I have, I have got like a, a, got a strategy for these whiskies. I have a belief in what I think the best way to treat these Three distilleries, stroke, four single malt expressions is. And I think Deanston should be made at all ages. The 18 should never, ever, ever be cancelled again. Because um, it's World Whiskey of the Year right now. Thank you very much. Um, it should always be waxy. Thank you. Uh, it should always be amazing. Um, one I having is just phenomenal. And, and everyone knows I love Isla. I used to live in Isla. Uh, I obsess about Isla. I'm very proud to say I've worked at four distilleries on Isla, five sites on Isla. I kind of dream about when I'm in my 60s just becoming a tour guide at each of the other distilleries on Isla and ticking off everyone. But I know that's a fantasy because no one in Coatbridge lives to 60. Um, <laughs> <coughs> so Bonnehaven to me is classic. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, doesn't do it justice. Bonnehaven is just to me perfection it's just perfection and just don't mess with it it's just isla unpeated sherried majority sherried whiskey isla unpeated sherry non-age stewarders fantastic 12 incredible 18 my favorite of all of them 25 just 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 make it and just leave it and just let it be this beautiful perfect thing and i love it but the two that I obsess about is Deanston, obviously, Waxy, time to let more people know about this hidden gem. And then the other one is Lechig. Lechig is like a cult within a cult within a cult because Scotch whiskey is a cult, whether you like to believe it or not. Smoky whiskey is, you know, this crazy little cult within Scotch whiskey. Isla smoky Scotch whiskey, I love, you know, Laphroaig, Lagavulin, and Arbeg, and I could go all around the houses, but, but especially those three, they are in my heart, they're in my blood, you know, literally, that's why I'm staying here tonight, I'm not driving, um, but, but Lechig to me is, I, I, I genuinely have said this, I've said this before I started working, because you always think, oh, he's saying that because he works for them now, and he's saying that, I still love Arbeg. I still love Lagavulin. It's my best friend over here, Jamie, you know, and despite the fact I've worked for Ardbeg and Leachig now, his favourite still is Lagavulin, you know, so he is what we call in the trade a, 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 a friend. Um, but, but these super smoky whiskies we all obsess about, so Laphroaig, Lagavulin and Ardbeg are phenomenal. But I've always loved Leachig, and I do think it's different. Is it better or worse? That's up to anyone in this room, what you... The one you visited first, let's face it, or the one that's matured in the way you like, but they're all incredible. But basically, my entire ambition for next year, so for 2023, is about 
driving, increasing, growing Lechig awareness. It makes it sound like a campaign, but I'm just, I'm done. I've actually made a danger of, is anyone on Reddit? Is anyone on Reddit? Have you ever been on Reddit? But I'm late to social media. I've never been on Facebook. I've never been on Twitter. Um, I'd heard of Bebo once upon a time. Um, I joined Instagram just to show what I do for a living occasionally, and you'd think I invented it, the way I go on about it. Uh, but I'm now on Reddit, and Reddit's mental. You know, the amount of times I'll have people who will just go, and I'll say, Leitchig is this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's me. And I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree, but I also love the way that they make it this way. That's wrong, you're an idiot. And I'll go, oh, that hurts. But, but this is actually true. It's not true, and also your mother's ugly, and I thought, right, okay, well... Well, my mother's not the best, but, but at the same time, this is true about Leitchig, how dare you? And they're like, no, you're an idiot. And then they say, well, here's my source, I know the master distiller, you're a clown. This is true. One guy went, you, I know the master distiller, you're wrong, you're a clown. What's your source? And I was like, I am the master distiller? <laughs> so I don't know. <clears throat> but what I've found with Leitchig is, see, when you get really fierce criticism and uh, clashing and passion, let's call it, which is a total stereotype, but when you get that, you realise that you're on to something. You know, I don't think people just wake up one day just decide to be an arse or combative. I think it generally comes from like a, a bit of, I love this thing. I don't quite understand all of it, but this thing is amazing. And that's what I sense in Leitchig. You know, the fact that it's spelled L-E-D-A-I-G and it's pronounced Leitchig is, is, is one early indicator of a high quality single malt scotch. You know, it's completely unpronounceable and it can win you a game of Scrabble um, with the worst tiles you've ever seen. But the more I've, I've, I've got to know Leitchig, so Tobermory, which they're both made at Tobermory, you all know that, yeah? So when we make unpeated Tobermory, it's called Tobermory. And when we make heavily peated Tobermory, it's called Leitchig. But we used to make it half and half. So every year, half the year, make Tobermory, half the year, make Leitchig. And when I arrived, I went, why do we do it half and half? And no one could give me an answer. So that suddenly gets you going, hmm. You know, when have you ever heard the answer, this is the way we always do it? And you go, that's a good answer. But it's like, basically, it's never. So I was like, well, why, why, why? And I started looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. And the more I worked with Tobermory, the more I realized Tobermory just, it becomes something phenomenal and fantastic with age. But with Leitchig, it's ready to go the minute it runs off the still. I would confidently launch a three-year-old Leitchig with a big three on it, not, not hiding the age, and I think it'd be like a superstar and a hit. But basically, the more I see Leitchig, the more I see it, it's, it's, it's on this crazy momentum, and I just want to make as much of it as I can. Still one of the smallest distilleries in the world, and it's still going to be tiny, but I just want to make more Leitchig. So rather than making half and half now, so 50% of the year Tobermory, 50% Leitchig, it's now about 80 or even 90% of the year Leitchig. Yeah. Yeah, that impressed someone. Who did that impress? Who was that? Yes, I love that that impressed you. Don't, 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 don't back cycle on yourself. You just got, like, I just said I love you and now you're, you, you. this is like when I overcommit on a date and then, and then the back off. But no, Tobermory will still be made and trust me, we're still making plenty Tobermory. We're not going to stop making Tobermory. It's not gone forever. I tried to have that argument and they said no. No, 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 but... Um, <laughs> Put me down, bastards. But no, no, no. It's just 80 or 90% will be Leitchig. We've got lots of Tobermory in stock. 
this is the less sexy part of that. I, I sort of project over the long run and over 50 years or 100 years or 20 years. We have plenty to Tobermory, but we're going to make it old. So one of the big plans for the company is to make a, a non-aged Tobermory, non-aged stated, so like, you know. Something, and I was just like, it's just not ready. But Tobermory is not ready young. It's not. But Leitig, I swear to God, three, four, five, six, seven years old, it's phenomenal. It's disgustingly good. And then, yes, yep, if I did. I, I think it's important with smoky whiskey. So see with unpeated whiskey, and we can have this big discussion, if people say it should be transparent always and stuff like that. I think you're kidding yourself. If I'm completely honest, I think you're kidding yourself. It's almost like if you go to a steakhouse, if everyone's a steak eater here, if anyone's a vegan, get out. No, just kidding. Um, but if you ask for marbling on a steak, you know, you can, you can kind of control it. You know, a ribeye is going to be more marbled, a fillet's going to be less marbled. But you can't measure it with a... You know, you can't just like go, it's an inch marble, therefore it's a ribeye. It's a ribeye, it's not. There's always going to be a natural variation. So with unpeated whiskies, non-aged whisky, you have to sometimes, sometimes it's a little bit older, older, but it tastes the same. Sometimes it's a little bit younger, but it tastes the same. But with smoky whisky, I think it's really important if you're going to do old or super young smoky that you have to call it the age. Because with old smoky whisky, it's still smoky, but it's way in the distance. And there's this lime, apple, pear, and other stuff on top. And if you're going to do it super young, even people who love smoky, it can get super intense. You know, it's almost like deliberately serving someone a curry that's hotter than they're used to. That wouldn't be, you're just being an arse if you do that for a practical joke. It's not funny. But with smoky whisky, I think, yeah, if I made a three-year-old, if I make a non-age whiskey, I'm basically giving you a hint here that it's not three years old. But if I made a whiskey that was three years old, I would scream about it. Absolutely scream about it. Price it accordingly, but it would be, this isn't an everyday drinker. This isn't the one to start on. Maybe this isn't the one to marry. Um, but it's definitely one to try and see what you think. You know? So, so wait, I, I get where your head's going to, but, but I'm not, I, I genuinely, and believe me or not, but I'm not trying to make a super premium expensive whiskey. All I'm saying is Tobermory. Most whiskies age is important, but not the only factor. There's the cask, there's the ABV you serve it at, there's, there's, so Bonnehaven has to be in sherry as a guide. You know, don't, don't follow any rule 100%, but almost always has to be in sherry. All are also sherry in particular, and it works. Deanston, okay, that one's kind of like a free runner. Leitig, young, bourboned and sherried usually. But Tobermory, it's more, it's more driven by the quality of the whiskey. It's super oily when it's young. And at about 12 years, which is our main age, and we only have two expressions of Tobermory, a 12. And they were going to launch an 18 when I joined, and I delayed it, and it's now a 21, and it's just launched. And if I say so myself, it's amazing. But, you know, again, nails for the podcast, someone tell them that blowing my nails but it just gets better and better and better it's almost like a linear thing it just gets better and better and better but it's not a drive to make more money it really is it just lends itself to being old Bonahaven lends itself to being sherried at different ages Dean's interest so, so it's not like some sort of strategy to be the most expensive whiskey ever sold because I mean you, you could be maybe but I don't really I don't really buy into that style it's just just listen to what the whiskey is telling you to do 
and generally the non-age whiskey, we put it together and it was just wasn't, it was just kind of like, it was almost like if you put the bottle in a uh, back of a bar, it was almost like shaking, it was, you know, it wasn't put together, it was a bit anxious, and then you get time and it just chills the hell out and integrates and becomes very calm and poised and beautiful, just everything that I personally am not. Um, whereas Leitchig, super young, smoky, insane, brilliant. But it's a good question. But also, if it does make loads of money, I do have a young son, and he eats enough for five children. <laughs> and I could own a boat if it wasn't for him. But I do love him, because you've got to say that. But, <laughs> but my God, he eats a lot. Right, let's jump in. So we're going to go, go, go young Leitchig, so non-age stated. Then we're going to go old Leitchig. Then we're going to go in the middle, Leitchig. Okay, is everyone with me on that? And the reason we're doing that is this is the way the boys set it out. This was not the plan. No, I'm just kidding. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So, first Leitchig is, this is one you can buy right after today, somewhere other than this private member's bar, which I am a member of. So, I realise I'm throwing shade. Sorry, boys. I do love it here. But this is Leitchig Sinclair Series. So, this is non-aged Leitchig. Um, finished, fully finished for about a year in Rioja casks, Spanish Rioja casks. If anyone's into their wine, Spanish Rioja is very oaky, so it's got loads of American oak in it, and it's also a big red wine, so you'll see the colour of it, especially in this room. I mean, if ever there was a whiskey designed to be drank in this room, I would say this is the cask to drink. Roaring fires, you know, a Christmas tree that was put up in October. I mean, Jesus Christ, thank God my wife isn't here tonight. She would have it up in September if she could. Um, bright red walls, smoky Rioja cask. This was meant to be a one-off, so that's why it's called the Sinclair series. The Sinclairs were brothers who founded Leitchig Distillery. But when I started, I drank this and I was like, this stuff's unbelievable. This is unbelievable whiskey. This is so good. And I'm like, yes, a one-off, it's done now. And I was like, oh, no, 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 this can't be a one-off. We, we need to make this again. There are certain whiskies that should be one-offs. Certain whiskies, you get a cask, at rice, or, or you get a, a trailer load of casks or something, and they're in a certain way. They're either like, more spicy than they should be, or they're deeper than they should be, or they're lighter than they should be, or they're younger or older. I don't need to list every variable. But sometimes it's just, it's about this moment in time, you know? Uh, where you just time it right and you just pull a sample of a cask and you go, Jesus, this is ready to go. And that's a one-off whiskey to me. But there's whiskies that are repeatable. There's whiskies that's like the thing that you, you know, is the highlight of your restaurant. I always go back to food. Um, you know, that you can make over and over and over and make it just as memorable and beautiful and brilliant. Rioja casks, not big in the whiskey industry, but we have a good supply. Leitchig, smoky as hell, you know. These two things... They just lock. I used to make our bag. Our bag and Rioja cast do not lock. I tried. This just locks. Both amazing whiskies, but our bag goes here and does amazing things. With this one, it's just like, Jesus, this is just something that is screaming out to be made again and again and again. So unfortunately, it's called the Sinclair series. And everyone says, what's next in the series? And I go, more of the same. <laughs> Once the labels run out, we'll change it. And that's enough with you, a way back to your annoying partner. Um, so, it's going to be called the Sinclair Edition, I guess. But it's just, it's just too phenomenal a whiskey. I didn't make this whiskey, it's made by Julianne and my team, and it's stunning. But the bit of credit I take 
is this was too good to be a one-off. It was too good to be a, if you were lucky, you got to drink it, and off you go. Instead, it is, check the colour, red, pink, it looks like blush wine. Um, it's at 46.3% alcohol. As I should have said to everyone, uh, all of our whiskies are non-chill filtered. So 463 is the lowest we go. They are non-spirit caramelled. We do not colour our whiskies at all. It's completely natural. That's another interesting thing to see on Reddit because they then go, you're lying. You've worked at a loophole and you're like, I give up. I just give up. But all natural colour, non-chill filtered, 45 to 50 parts per million phenols, if you're really into how smoke it, heavily peated and made on the Isle of Mull in this tiny distillery that's been there since... 1798, can't expand, it's a courtyard, tiny distillery, surrounded by the sea on one side, a cliff behind it, and the town of Tobermory around it. Just a really special place. So we get a little swirl, have a wee look at the colour, and remember what I said about the colour, because I've seen a few of you being naughty and looking up, which is of no use to anyone, plus if you're sweating it will show. Uh, look down on it, look at the colour, wee nose, And then have a sip. So it's like, in my head, I'm a very visual person. It's, imagine you're like filling up your car with petrol. You know, imagine it's 2019 and you can afford to do that. Um, and you're filling your car up with petrol and then like you just fill some of it up into like a, like a, a jerry can. And then you're hungry and there's a there's a greengrocer's next to it and you get some nice strawberries and blueberries and raspberries and because you're hungry on the moment you dip them into the petrol and then eat them that to me is this whiskey that to me is this whiskey it's fresh organic strawberries raspberries and blueberries dipped in kerosene gasoline diesel and fire and it is just a magical 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 whiskey and if you don't like it, you know, it's quite minty as well, which is weird. In amongst the, in amongst the fire and the wood, and it's quite salty too. So salt dropped on top of mint, dropped on top of strawberries, dipped into gasoline, and eaten. What's not to love, right? Uh, no, 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 no. So there is some peat in the Isle of Mull, but there's no maltings on the Isle of Mull. So you will get, and I'm going to get my high horse here, and I'm now remembering I'm recorded again, but fuck it. Um, people will insist, they'll insist that, oh, we harvest peat right next to our distillery and it makes it taste... It's not true. It's just not true. You want to get the peat close to the maltings. The maltings where you bring in barley and you soak it in water, you let it germinate, and then when you dry it, you burn peat as part of the drying process. If you're bringing peat from all around to go to this maltings... Peat's going to get dry. The drier it gets, the harder it gets, and the more flammable it gets. And I know that sounds weird. You're like, yo, surely you want to set fire to the peat. You almost want the peat to billow and smoke. It's a flavour as opposed to the primary source of heat. So you want it to billow and smoke, so you want it really close to the maltings. So we get our peat from Isla. Some of it comes from Isla over the years, and we also get it from the mainland. So the peat isn't... Uh, the, the, the distillery, the people, the manufacturing process, the milling, the mashing, the fermentation is all from Mull. The peat is from somewhere else. But that's, that's okay in my book. Some people will cling to it, but those people are from marketing. 
And, you know, if you're from marketing, you're, the old phrase goes, you're, you're wrong, um, just in many levels. So it's, it's disgustingly cheap. So every time you drink that, my wane goes hungry. So you should be ashamed of yourself. It's like 36 quid, 36 quid, which is, I, believe me, I'll be honest, I'm working on changing that because I, I think that's ludicrous. But it's 36 quid. So, so yeah, 36 quid. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant whiskey, in my opinion. One that was going to be just a one-off, and now, no. We, we have grand plans. 46.3. The point free is very important. There's a reason for the point free. I don't know the reason, but there is a reason. <laughs> but I'm sure there's a re- there must be a reason. But no, no, 46.3, genuinely, non-chill filtered, all natural, 100% finished in Rioja casks for about a year, and it's 36 quid. So, so, so genuinely, and I'm quite proud of this, like Ardbeg Wee Beastie was me from concept to launch because I was obsessed with young Ardbegs and I worked for Ardbeg for eight years and I kept going we need to do this we need to do this we need to do this and people weren't convinced and then Dr Bill suddenly got on it and he went right go 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 and then out it came and it was amazing so I would say the first thing I'd say is for smoky whiskies yes for smoky whiskies so for Tobermory never absolutely never it's just not ready it's not good it's not there um for Bonahaven, no, no. It's, we, we might do like a single cast. Like, well, Martin, you, you had the Canasta seven, six, seven-year-old, but that was a one-off cask. It was just a one-off cask. It was marvellous, so celebrate it. But smoky whiskies are good young. Just the same as other whiskies are good old, smoky whiskies are good young if you're looking for smoke. So yeah, I'd love to do a Lechig at five. Love to, and at three and at four, and scream about it and shout about it, if it works. Um, the one I'd watch out for is, believe it or not, it's, it's not just, age does make whiskey rarer, and it does make it more expensive, but see, once you're into that cycle and you've cracked it, it's not necessarily going to be cheaper to do it, because sometimes younger whiskies, you want to make them more interesting or different or complex, so you buy in sherry casks, which cost a lot of money, or red wine casks, which cost a huge amount of money, so it doesn't always equal younger equals cheaper, Sometimes, most times, but, but it's definitely a quicker cycle. But the main reason I would do it is smoky whiskies taste great when they're smoky and they taste smoky when they're young. So, yeah, there's a reason that, you know, most whiskies from Speyside or the Highlands that are unpeated are 12 years old and the smoky equivalents are 10 years old. You know, there's a reason for that. It's just it keeps more of the smoke in. But the other way to make it smokier is uh, serve at a higher strength. That's another way you could do it. Take your 10-year-old, instead of putting it at 40, 40 or 43, like other people do, we do not, you could put it at 50, you know. But I think there is an important thing to play in smoke. And this is me now being a classic politician and answering the question I want to answer, but I do get irritated with people saying, what's the PPM of this whiskey? And you're like, it doesn't, it's just, it's just not a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think how can you play with PPM or how can you play with smoke, higher strength, different casks, different ages, um, different presentations, different serves. There's, there's all these ways and I like that. That's why I like non-age declared. I still like non-age stated and I know some people will never drink a non-age stated whiskey. That's okay. It's not for you, that's fine. There's plenty of people who 
like the, the, the it just gives me so much freedom and ability to confidently buy in casks that I don't know what's going to happen with them, but I can I can do it because I can use a different range of ages in the whiskey. But for smoky in particular, I think age-stated younger whiskies is a huge part of the future. And I just hope no one is greedy about it because I don't agree with make it a five-year-old and it costs more than the ten-year-old unless it's a limited edition cash strength number blah 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 you know what I mean but if you're going to do it make it fair in the customer and make it amazing and I think there's huge future for that yeah so well it's hard to say so sometimes it'll be well the other thing is I don't know if you're possibly married to someone like my wife but if you are to my wife room temperature is 60 degrees celsius so um, and she still wears a cardigan so if your whiskey's in a room that's hot it can drive off it's, it's almost like distillation on a very different scale so it can drive off some congeners and not others and even though you have a cork in your whiskey it's not that's not a it's, it's a liquid seal but it's not a gas seal so you could be losing some stuff um so that's one thing there's so many factors it could be stored in sunlight sunlight changes whiskey in a crazy way um if you keep keep your whiskey in the dark and keep it wrapped around the side if you really want, but mainly keep it in the dark is the best way to preserve it. Uh, the other way to drive out smoke is if you pour, say, say you had a big night, friends come around for your birthday, you pour some drinks and you put it away for six months, it won't change that much, but if you had six months, you poured one dram every Friday night, that constant interaction will change it way more than one day of open and one day of closed. Um, but the other bit is in the cask, not so much in the bottle, but in the cask, the smoke's constantly escaping, but inside that cask, there's constantly this reaction going on. There's lots of different higher alcohols, so not just ethanol, but other alcohols in the cask, and there's lots of other different acids, and those acids and alcohols combine and chemically react and form esters, and esters are fruity and floral. So what happens is the smoke's dropping down, and the esters are going up, so the smokiness drops away and the fruitiness goes way up. So in the cast, the change is way more obvious than it is in the bottle. So basically, there's a there's hundred million factors going on all at once. But if I could recommend this, just drink that bottle and buy some lechig right after it. And <laughs> you'll, you'll be fantastic. And then buy another lechig after that. And then an expensive one, you know, Mrs. McCarran needs a Christmas present. And I'm not rich. But yeah. It's, it's a tough one. But my main advice, if you're going to store a lot of whiskey that you drink, keep it in the dark. Rather than keep it out in display, it's amazing how much direct sunlight can change whiskey versus all the other factors, heat, humidity, and vibration and stuff like that. Everyone enjoying Sinclair? Yeah. The limited edition that's not so limited anymore? Right. Next two are just two single casks, a bit like Deanston, my favourite cask in the, the warehouse. These two are actually at Deanston, because if you ever go to Tobermory Distillery, it's tiny. We have six casks on site. <laughs> so uh, I would be really pushing myself if I said I went wandering through the warehouses of Tobermory and I selected two incredible drams for you all, because there's six there, six. But instead, we actually have quite a lot of our Tobermory stored at Deanston. Uh, myself and Gordon, the warehouse manager, we went for a wee look. So what we have, first of all, this is Lechig from 2003 in a first fill Oloroso Sherry Hogshead. So 2003 makes it, someone better at maths than me, 
19, yeah? 19 year old, so the smoke's gonna go, smoke's gonna go down a bit, plus it's in a big sherry cask, so it's not just the smoke has literally went down, it's also just the smoke's harder to find, because all the also sherry's kind of like tacky and sticky and oily and stuff like that, but it just makes for, well check the colour first, it makes for a, I mean that's a properly coloured whiskey isn't it, you know, Stick that in front of that fire and there's your Christmas card for the SMWS for the next five years. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. So, and speaking of filthy animals, if you get your nose into this glass, this is, leaching to me is filthy. You know, and I, I don't say that lightly because like, I do struggle to pronounce my THs and my Fs. It's a problem. But filthy is a, a thing for me. It's just... It's dirty and dusty and smoky and oily. You know, if I could compare Leichig to me, so I love smoke, and I've said this a few times, I love Isla, I love Leichig, I love Laphroaig, I love Lagavulin, I love Arbeck, I love Isla smoke, I love smoky whiskies. The difference is, south coast of Isla, those whiskies are phenomenal. Below the smoke, I always get acidity, lime and citrus and orange and bittersweet and balanced and it's spectacular and that's all brilliant because whenever you talk about the competition everyone thinks you're being negative I'm not I'm saying that is amazing Leitchig to me is like some kind of Victorian factory on fire that's getting put out with seawater it's just dank and funky you know it's like Oliver the musical on fire is that my best comparison for it you know some Fagin would make Really dank, really dusty, musty, beautiful as well. And just something oily, fat, big, bodied, amazing. This to me, it's a, quite a common thing for smoky whiskies and sherry. I do think of like, does anyone like make streaky bacon? Or if anyone here shops at Waitrose, lardons, posh people. <laughs> I'm in Edinburgh, you're all posh to me. Um, but you know, if you fry lardons or bacon or pancetta even, Martin, you live in a posh bit of Edinburgh, which is just called Edinburgh. Um, but the oil bakes down and renders and you get that fattiness and you can smell the smoky bacon, but the oil's in the side. You know, if you ever scoop up that oil when someone isn't looking and you let it cool down, then drink it. Like, we've all done it. Like, don't, don't look at me with your judgy eyes. It's just basically like liquefied frazzles, if anyone's Scottish. Just crazy smoky bacon and oil and saltiness and crackling and roast pork dinners. And... But on top of that, is anyone else getting like the, I'm attempting this after, what's this, five whiskies now? Is anyone getting the herbiscusness? Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyone getting like rosemary or sage or basil, especially, I don't know if you've ever been, have you ever had rosemary fries in certain restaurants where they fry the rosemary and it's crispy and crunchy, but there is that greenness and there's that spiciness. It's in there if you've never, in fact, it was in the, 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 the mince and tatties, the fanciest bowl of mince and tatties I've ever had in my entire life, FYI. So thank you very much to the chef and to SMWS. Is anyone else getting like 
something woody as well underneath it. It's almost like eating a smoky bacon sandwich on an old boat. <laughs> there is antique furniture. There's mahogany. There's boot polish. There's sea salt. It's a pretty phenomenal whiskey, if I say something. Oh, this is a 53.5% alcohol, I should have said. If you want to add a little bit of water to this, honestly, watch it as the water goes in. It gets a bit oily on top. It gets a bit fatter. Gets a bit deeper. The smoke will burst out when you first put this, the water in, and then it will sort of drop away. Yes. Full term, first fill, all the Rosso Hogshead. So with a Bonahaven, this would be black in colour, pretty much. It would be like the colour of treacle or um, espresso coffee or something like that. A Deanston the wax would be pretty much gone. But a Leitchig, it's a strong, strong, strong spirit. So it stands up to it and it, you know, well, it holds out completely. Oh, so that's, that's a good plug. So neither of these will ever be drank anywhere ever again. So these are single casts just for you to try and the casts are gone tomorrow. So... Unique, genuinely unique. You'll never have them again. The 25-year-old, I will have at several other tastings and I'll have at Christmas Day and uh, every Tuesday that I choose. But no, no, these two are actually going into a couple of different recipes I'm working on. So genuinely, this is a snapshot in time that usually the only people ever to drink this one and the next one. So, yeah. I'll take the silence as stunned adulation. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. There are quite long-term plans. Quite long-term plans. So sorry, but no. If I could tease you with something that was coming, then I'd say yes, but no. No, they're just... They're, they arrived at Deanston for a reason. And then I pulled samples and I went, do you know what? These are great things to show off at a tasting, so... Sorry? It is, it is, it is. Patience is also my Auntie Gertrude's best friend. But. <laughs> Everyone enjoying? Yeah? I've got to say, like, you, your favourite. That, that's good. Love it. Love it. I must say, like, like, we, started, we started sort of quiet, but then there was a few brilliant questions. And then it's like, builds, so usually it builds up to a crescendo, you know, because everyone's got six whiskies in them and they're feeling no pain. But actually, I, I like this. So you started like, really into it, you know, really asking those questions, then you are properly into the whiskey. Then there was a bit more, and then I think these are all starting to get into. A reflective state. This is great. So I'm expecting a fist fight and basically the opening scene of Gladiator outside as, we, as the fresh air hits us all. But we shall see. It's Germania meets Edinburgh. So, final whiskey. So deliberately, right, so we did non-age stated, which is the Rioja Leitchig. Then heavily sherried and old Leitchig. So heavy sherry is going to hide some of the smoke. Old is going to let naturally some of the smoke drop away. This time we're going younger. It's not super young though, but younger. So this is like an 11 year old. This is from 2009. It's a 12 year old actually. Uh, 12 year old. It hasn't turned 13 yet. So December uh, 2009. And this is in a refill sherry butt. 
So each time you fill a sherry, it becomes less impactful from the sherry, but you should still be getting variations on a theme from the last whiskey. This one's at 57.9 ABV as well. So it's quite strong, but I would encourage you to try it at that strength. Yeah. Refill. Yeah. So it's not even second fill. Yeah. And this is the beauty of casks. Casks are like people. Do not rely on them. And, <laughs> and you know, it's frowned upon to trade them, but sometimes, sometimes it helps get you where you need to be. No, it's, um, they're, they're just super, yeah, it's crazy. It's a refill. So this has been filled. But, but don't forget, so it's, right, well, let me do this just in case no one knows. I'm not going to ask because anyone not know. So the first time you get a sherry cask, the first time you put whiskey into it, it's a first fill. So that's stronger, right? Second time you fill it, it's less strong. Third time, less strong. Less, less sherry influence comes. But there is this ebb and flow of, well, how long was it filled for the first time? Maybe filled for six months. Maybe filled for a year or two years for a finish. But other first fills may have been filled for 12 years to make the award-winning bun I have in 12-year-old that we haven't tried tonight, but if you buy it, it does help me with my pension and my children. Um, and if it's been filled for 12 years, it's going to have less influence of the sherry than if it was filled for six months. But it's still a first fill, and the next thing you fill it, it's still a second fill. So there is this natural randomness to whiskey that happens, especially when you go back to 2009, 2003, 1995 with the Deanston, you are kind of, you, you inherit what you inherit. You, you know, again, back to food, you walk in and you see what's in the larder and that's what you cook with. You, you don't get to magic up ingredients and that's, that's the whole magic of making whiskey. You know, you don't have a machine that makes you exactly one inch of this and two inches of that. There's always this beautiful randomness to the things that you select to make whiskey. That's why single casts sometimes are the most magical whiskies you ever taste. And that's why sometimes it's like a consistently made whiskey where you realize how much goes into it and how many moving parts there are that just make it something amazing. But yeah, refill sherry. But I think it'd be fair to assume, but you can't guarantee, that it was probably only filled for a short time, the first and second time. Usually after the second time you fill something, you just call it refill. There's no point in tracing third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You know, it's like children. I'm, I'm the fourth child, you know. They didn't bother after the second. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you? Yeah, Aye, what's your name? Thingy me, Bobby. That one. Yeah. <laughs> Number four. I think, or, or six, I don't know. You're not auditing me. But amazing colour. Amazing colour. And like I say, it's a 12-year-old just about turned 13 years old. Refill Sherry. It's going to be smokier than the last one for two reasons. It's younger, but also stronger. Higher strength. None of these have been proved. None have been reduced. But it does just make something really phenomenal, in my opinion. So, so right now... Today, we have a distillery called Tobermory, and when it makes unpeated whiskey, it's called Tobermory. When it's peated, it's called Leachig. Back in time, several times between today and 1798, 
This distillery has either been called Tobermory or Lechig. In the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or whenever, at certain times it would make Lechig and also peated Lechig, which in today's time is called Tobermory and Lechig, but back then it was called Lechig and peated Lechig. People tried to make sense of this and eventually myths, and I can't pronounce my THs, so this is a horrendous word for me, but myths, uh, myths emerge. And it's, oh, back then when they made peated Tobermory, it's because they changed the cut points, the head, the heart, and the tail of distillation. And there's an old word for this that came about in the 1800s called horseshit. It's <laughs> absolute, complete and utter donkey dung for, for colloquial terms. It just, people just make stuff up. And, and it's not malicious, I don't think. I think people just try to make sense of why is it like this or why is it like that. But no, it's just, it's just at different points in its time. Cut points change more than you would think. Cut points change sometimes when it's hot or when it's cold. They aren't these crazy locked-in things with screws and padlocks. You know, the, 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 the stillman. We don't give us enough credit to the mashman and stillman, the men and women that run the distilleries, because they will honestly hear and see and smell what's going on in the distillery, and they'll make little adjustments all the time for consistency, you know? But these stories come up, and the problem with a whiskey myth, it's very hard to kill something that doesn't exist. So they just hang about and hang about and hang about. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't think anyone's been malicious by it, but I just think it's people trying their best to make, to understand why things are different. But it's just really complicated that Lechig used to be called Tobermory. Before it was called Tobermory, it was called Lechig. And when it was Lechig, it used to make a peated thing called Tobermory. But now it's a distillery called Tobermory. When it makes a peated thing, it's called Lechig. You still with me? Right, so because before then it was peated and unpeated, but then it was peated slightly and a wee bit, and then we closed down, and then before that, and you just go, oh, Jesus. But, but yeah, but there's nothing to do with the cut points, nothing. It's just Isle of amazing little distillery, makes spectacular whiskey. Sometimes it's oily and tropical fruity, and these days we call that Tobermory. Other times it's like this Victorian smoky monster fire getting put out by a Troller, we see water, and we call it Lechig. Right, should we try this? We have all tried it? It's good, isn't it? So, smokier. Variations on a theme. It still tastes like some crazy smoked bacon sandwich. High five. Cheers. Uh, some crazy smoky bacon sandwich, but it's like someone didn't switch the extractor on, so it's way smokier than it should be when you're eating that sandwich. It's not as oily, I wouldn't say. I'd say it's a wee bit lighter and brighter. There's even a wee bit of citrus in there. If anyone wants to get super pretentious, is anyone getting licorice? There's this crazy licorice root in there. Yeah, aniseed and licorice and something a bit funky. Fennel, yes. See, okay, of course, again, you swap at Waitrose. That's just a fancy way of saying aniseed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, you are absolutely right. Fennel seed like that ground up fennel seed. It's not fennel root, which is too fresh, but it's that intensified, deep, concentrated. I think it's almost like, you know, Bertie Bassett, that character made of all sorts. It's like he's in Fathers for Justice and he's lost his kids and he sets himself on fire outside the Buckingham Palace in protest. You get that kind of burnt licorice intensity to this whiskey. 
Dressed as Batman, of course, my hero. Yeah, fennel. Yeah, aromatic, super aromatic, but also still quite industrial, still quite diesel-y, loads of wood smoke. There's even just something boggy. You know, there is actually an amazing leachig that was released by Scotch Walt Whiskey Society, and I think the name was just Bog. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just called Bog. It's just called Bog. And they use it as these brilliant descriptions, like, like running through a sunset while getting pounded by opal fruits, you know, and, and stuff like that. And they're great names, and it's just like Bog. But it sums up Leitig so well. It's like a peat bog. It's earthy, smoky, dank, mucky, crazy, but brilliant as well. Anyone added water yet? Well, I would recommend water to this one. This is about 57 and a bit, 57.8 from memory. A little bit of water. I would, if I was to turn this into a, like a whiskey for sale, if I was to turn this into a whiskey that was available for, you know, like, like a visitor center exclusive or a one-off or something, I would do this one at 46.3 with the water in it. I think it does get this, the, the licorice really comes out. It does feel like chewing on the outsides of, you know, like a licorice all sort, like the, the creamy filling's gone. It's just that intense. Angelica, if anyone's into their botanicals for gin, angelica bark, licorice, something rooty and deep and autumnal. I just attempted that word after six whiskies, so <laughs> I got herbiscus in after five, so I'll go for autumnal after six. Yeah, so, so I've just put water in it. It's a, it's a decent glug of water as well. And it is, it's, it's angelica. There, you could even argue there is juniper in there. There's juniper, there's, there's lemon peel. There's just something very aromatic, but citrusy. It's not fully savoury, it's not fully sweet. And that famous word that's been ruined by various whiskey tasters throughout the years, but this really is a complex whiskey. <laughs> Complex means loads of different flavours that are in balance, but unfortunately, complex these days just means any whiskey you've ever drank. Because people just go, oh, it's complex. You know what? Sometimes it isn't. But this one genuinely has, it's just got like, a huge amount going on. Some, nothing dominates. Everything's in there. You can find it at different points as you nose and taste the whiskey. How to say that's it? Um, that's it. <laughs> so, free whiskies. We started with Deanston's Virgin Oak, but it's 55%, which is the one-off. One batch, when it's gone, it's gone. But you'll always have Virgin Oak, my favourite Deanston. Then the 25-year-old with Pedro Jimenez, Sherry Cass, this crazy umami, sweet and incredible Deanston that will never be released. But I am thinking about trying to make, I'd love to make a permanent 25-year-old Deanston with that as the, the guide not the final product, it's not repeatable at some moment in time, but the final product would be guided by that kind of flavour profile. Then after that, an amazing and very generous 26-year-old Tobin Mori from the guys at Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. So thank you, guys. Then just three leachings. Non-aged, very old, middle-aged, and all amazing, I think. So... Um, I'll be hanging about for a bit if you get any questions you want to ask and you're too shy to shout. I'll stay here for a wee bit to answer loads of questions, but thanks very much for listening and cheers. cheers. 
That's the one and only Brendan McCarran, master distiller at Distels Bunahaven, Deanston and Tobermory Distilleries. Make sure you're subscribed to Whiskey Talk for more special tastings with distillers from across the industry. And if you haven't signed up to become a member of the SMWS yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. That's it for this episode of Whiskey Talk. Until the next time, cheers. Cheers.